0: Hello and welcome to Remarks and Reflections, a podcast offering insights into topics that are important to the Hillbrook community and the broader worlds of education and parenting. I'm your host, head of school Mark Silver, and I invite you to join us for what we hope are lively conversations about a whole range of ideas and issues that connect with our vision to inspire children to achieve their dreams and reach beyond themselves to make a difference in the world. Today I am joined by the Senior Director of Leadership Ethics at the Markkula Center for Applied Ethics at Santa Clara University, Anne Skeet. In her role, Anne has been speaking and writing about ethical questions amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, including topics such as leadership and followership, governance, and how the pandemic might inspire us to be more ethical at work and in life. I recently had the opportunity to hear two podcast interviews with Anne, one through the National Association of Independent Schools, and another through the trucker Transport News, and I was inspired to reach out and see if she would talk with me about the role of ethics in the elementary and middle school world amidst this crisis. For those who don't know, I should also add that Anne has been a Hillbrook parent for 14 years. Her oldest daughter, her oldest child, Emma, is a freshman at Loyola Marymount University, and her youngest, John, is an eighth grader and a member of the class of 2020. In fact, for anyone who follows Hillbrook's Facebook account, one of the first posts for this school year was John getting off the bus, something he had done every first day of the year since junior kindergarten. Um, So, Anne, welcome. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having me, Mark.
0: The um, that that's as I mentioned that that Facebook post is a little bittersweet. I, we had actually hoped to have a last day of the year of John getting off the bus, and of course <laughs> that's not going to happen now.
1: No, it's not.
0: <laughs> yeah. So first of all, how how are you? How's the family doing? how How are you? <laughs> well,
1: we're good. We feel lucky. You know, we're safe and healthy. Um, we have to take some extra precautions because um, you know because Bill's a cancer survivor. Um, but we also feel grateful for all the different uh, communities that we're part of that are supporting us, not the least of which is the Hillbrook community.
0: Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear everybody as well. Um, and then, and for you guys, it's a special. Like as members of the class of 2020, um, you know, this has been kind of a. A unique disappointment that you've had to process um, as, as students and families are going to be missing out on the in-person version of experiences that, that typically happen at this time of year. Like, So how have you talked to John about that and how have you managed it yourself?
1: Well, first we've talked and I want to acknowledge you know, what a unique and wonderful class the class of 2020 is. They um, are, yeah, yeah. They are the first ones to grow in size, and I think they were your first class, weren't they, Mark, as the head of school?
0: Uh, second, they were my second class, but they were the, they, they've been, they've always I've always had this you know it's like the class of twenty twenty like perfect vision. I've <laughs> yeah, been right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you probably got your
1: graduation <laughs> speech all ready to go. Um, and they're a very kind and caring community. So it's been a unique challenge, I think, for the parents. Um, in some ways, I think we know a little bit more than maybe they do about what they're missing out on. Um, either we had the experiences ourselves as kids, or we—they've had older siblings that we can, um, you know, kind of think back to those experiences. So I've been trying actually to remember advice that you've given, Mark, which is to try and meet the student where they are, not where you are as a parent. And so. Um, so I've tried to really think about it uh, from John's point of view, and he's a little more focused right now on what it means for high school and what's ahead of him. So I'm trying to stay more in tune with that.
0: Oh, good. Well, and then, and, and although I will say, I mean, I think as, as you're naming, it's, I, I know it's been really, it's been hard for parents too, right? I mean, and and particularly as you described, like many Hillbrook classes, it's, it's a tight-knit group of parents, so.
1: Yeah, um, and, and I think the kids have been their own best support system, so yeah. We do, I, you know, when I do bring it up directly, I maybe don't find out as much as when I just listen indirectly to hear him talking with his um, buddies and friends, either doing classwork or not doing classwork. My observation is he wants to be connected to them pretty much all day long.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, it's the uh, I guess it's the, the, the benefits of the technology is that they, they can do some of that now. Yeah, right. So shifting to, you know, one of the reasons I was excited to get a chance to talk to you today is, you know, you have a real expertise in a space, ethics, um, that have has been a hot topic in particular these last few months. And I know, um, and you know, I've known you for a long time, and so I've also, I've known that lots of other groups have been reaching out to you to kind of get insight into the place of ethics amidst this crisis. So I wonder if you can take a moment just to talk a little bit more about what ethics is and, and isn't. Um, and then how you encourage people and organizations to think about it, um, both generally and then, of course, we can talk more specifically about amidst the COVID-19 crisis.
1: Sure. Yeah, because the crisis is really what does bring everybody's attention to ethics. Um, It's kind of a global ethics case study, and um, it really has people thinking about ethical issues in a way that they may not on a day-to-day basis. So um, so first of all, I think a lot of people... get ethics confused with other concepts. It's not really about people's feelings or their emotions. um, And it's not about always doing the exactly, you know, right thing to the letter of the law necessarily. Um, It's really about considering both the context and the role that you're in in the moment uh, and trying to make a good quality decision. So my favorite definition of ethics is that it's about human flourishing. You know, it's about how we all thrive. And in a school community that can be how we create the ideal environment for all the people in the school community to flourish not just the students but the teachers the administrators and the families and i um when i think about ethics in a school environment in a school community i think the best advice i ever received was actually in an education leadership training program where one of the facilitators observed that schools work best when everyone plays their position. And I've I really actually taken that into the work that I do in ethics um, pretty thoroughly. It, and it, it really is about reminding yourself all the time who's supposed to be doing what. So the students are really there to learn and we as parents are really there to help the students. And the teachers are there to prepare the classroom for the best learning environment. And the administrators balance all of our needs uh, and those of the organization to try and integrate them all together. Um, so, and there's even a role for the, like the board of directors, the trustees who, um, they're sort of looking out for the school as a going concern and its sustainability and they, they hold it in trust for the whole community. So a lot of what you think about in a school setting has to do with, you know, what role are you in and what interests should you be protecting in that role? That's how I ask, I invite people to think about it often.
0: So so in the midst then of, say, COVID-19, where the roles haven't changed, but the ways we're playing them probably have, um, or in some ways, um, what, what what do you see as kind of the key ethical considerations then for, for, I guess, all those different, or at least some of those different roles, certainly students and families and, and maybe school broadly, um, in order to ensure flourishing?
1: Sure. So let, first I'll talk a little bit about the lenses we use, and then... Um, sort of the, some of the specific trade-offs that we're facing right now in COVID. Uh, we like to say that um, identifying ethical issues is a little bit like bird watching. Once you get good at it, um, you know you may not notice birds every day, but once you get better at it, you see them everywhere and they're easier to spot when you're working with other people. Um, so there's a lot of things that work in that analogy uh, similar to ethics. And we talk about different lenses that you look through. Um, sort of a cost-benefit analysis of what's going to do the most good or the least harm, uh, human rights and dignity, what, what's going to respect the rights of all the people who are involved, the justice or fairness approach, which is just thinking about how to treat people fairly and proportionally, um, thinking about the community as a whole and, um, and how we do things to serve that community as a whole, That's one that we're really thinking a lot of right now, and um, that's the consideration of the common good. And then finally, how do we, each of us, be the best person that we can be, which is thinking about the virtues that we want to live our lives with. Um, So in COVID-19, there are, there's a lot of trade-offs that we're making right now and some shifts in our own thinking we have to do. In the health arena, that means shifting from a doctor thinking about what's the best thing for an individual patient to what's the best thing for the community's health overall. And as you're making that transition, you have to think about things like, okay, I wanna keep everybody safe, but everybody also has the right to privacy. So how do I communicate as effectively as I can about what's going on with individual people's health because we all need that information but still protect the privacy of those individuals. In families, some of the trade offs have to do with the fact that roles are changing, you know the parent that might have been working might not be working right now so. um, He or she might be picking up a little extra slack around uh, on the home front. Um, And I think people are thinking about the relationships, they have the people that they're close to their neighbors and how they help out the people that they live near but also a lot of us have people who come to work in our homes. So we have to ask ourselves, gosh, you know, I rely on this housekeeper, or this nanny or this gardener to take care of me and my family. And now we're in this moment where they might need some care. Um, so we have to think about those relationships too. I think one of the nicest things we've seen is real great examples of collaborative leadership of people working together here locally in the Bay Area. Our uh, County Health um, Officer, Sarah Cody she did so many things right in the early days, and one of the most right things she did was reach out to the other six counties nearby and start working with those public health officers. And she also picked the phone and called her two predecessors and said, you know, I'm looking at the most unprecedented experience, and I need your help. Come on in and help me think about this. So we can learn a lot from watching um how people in roles like hers are um, are drawing on expertise and support, and thinking and making decisions with other people.
0: Yeah, you, you one of the one of the articles I noticed that you had read was about leadership and followership, and so you just described a little bit of like great examples of leadership. I really liked that concept of followership. Um, you know, and it, and it's something that I often think about. You know, within a classroom, right? We often think about trying to create spaces for children both to. To have a voice, and then also l- learn those moments when they need to take a step back and allow somebody else to have that space. C- can you tell me a little bit more about like h- how you see that th- those two things playing out, like leadership and followership, and, and then again, particularly in a moment like this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, all of us as followers have a choice to make in terms of who who we are going to allow to lead us, and we've had a lot of different options in this crisis. Um, We've had international entities and leaders, both at the World Health Organization and then other countries that might have experienced uh, the disease before we did. And then here in the country, we have federal and then state leaders, and then we have health doctors and then people like you that are um, leaders in a specific part of our community. Um, but but a part that's usually really important to families or the schools where their kids go to school. So. Um, You know, people have had to decide and sort of sift through a lot of information and misinformation and and get clear in their own mind about the qualities that give them confidence in a leader. And so as we've seen people who've been able to acknowledge uh, the uncertainty, the fact that they don't know the answers to everything and to be really as transparent as they can be about what they do know and what they don't know. to be able to point to facts and use those data uh, whenever we have it to involve people in the decision-making whenever possible. Um, Those are some of the things I think that we've, I've been really impressed, to be honest, by how people have kind of coalesced around voices. So one of those voices is Dr. Fauci. And, Mm -hmm. you know, no one said to us, this is the guy to listen to, (laughs) right? We kind of, as a as a collective society, our own collective wisdom kind of really identified. Oh, here's someone who is using um, the right resources and has the skills, so we can have confidence in him and we can follow his advice.
0: I love that example. The, the, um, as you as you were talking, you know, one of the things that I know we have been doing a lot at the school level is connecting with other peer schools, and it's perhaps not surprising, but it's been heartening, the level of communication and collaboration between both immediate peer schools and then much more broadly across the Bay Area, California, then even across the country. And to your point, the, the ability for many of us to be able to pull in different people and different resources and listen and learn um, and, and not feel like we have to be the expert all the time. Um, the when we when we think about this with like particularly about both ethics and then also this moment I guess in time COVID nineteen with children I know early on one of the challenges or one of the, the points of friction in my household was uh, before the the former formal shelter in place when it was a little bit more of like a nice to have as opposed to a requirement conversations around so what was okay for my oldest daughter to do like you know where was it okay to go. I'm curious as you think about um, how parents can engage their kids in ethical conversations at this moment. Are there certain issues that have, that you think that you see that are really that are really a- a- applicable to children and, and like maybe accessible and, and ways to help them start to apply ethical thinking in their lives?
1: Yeah. So my first um, instinct is to, to never label it an ethical conversation. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the things we have a framework for ethical decision making. And we find the minute we say the word ethics, people like almost freeze and they feel judged and like preached at, and and that's not the point. So if we just say, How do you make a good decision? and we don't use the word ethics, then they can often come to the same lenses that I talked about before. So when you're talking to kids right now, um, you know, I think it's more effective and, and even with adults to not focus so much on um, you know, what's ethical, but just gosh, what do you think is the right thing to do and what what are you using what values are you using to make those decisions so in a family could have some uh, family rules or guidelines that they have leaned on over the years and they should go back to those and at hillbrook we have you know be kind be curious take risks do your best that's great guidance um and those can be drawn on um you know even now t- and should be drawn on to think about well, what's the right thing to be doing you know, in the context of the Hillbrook community. So I ask them to, um, or to maybe draw on like an analogy another time that might be familiar like this, another disappointment they had um, when they couldn't do something they wanted to do, maybe they missed an activity because they were sick and to remember um, how that felt and then how they got cheered up and, and then to think about how they could do that for other people. Because we know that one of the things that helps all of us when we're sad or disappointed um, is to to give that assistance and that help to others because it makes us feel better.
0: Yeah, that takes me to, to, to uh, maybe the final question. The, the um, you know, people often say that in a crisis, you know, you, you see the com- communities come together. Um, and that has certainly been my sense as I, as I've looked at Hillbrook and, the, the ways that people have rallied around each other, not only at this moment but at other moments during my tenure when, when, when difficult things have happened. Um, you have been engaging with different groups around California and I'm sure even beyond California. Like what, is, is that consistent with what you're seeing? Like do you, is your sense that, you know, d- during moments of crisis for the most part people are doing the right thing and coming together?
1: Yes, they are. I see that people have so much more, first of all, so much more tolerance for imperfection And um, an assumption of goodwill, that we're all trying to do our best and just, um, you know, it may not be perfect. Uh, Just even when I'm thinking about how I've talked to my kids about this moment in time, you know, I'm pretty sure I've screwed some of that up. But there really isn't a playbook for this. It's not even like I can ask my own mom, hey, when we were a kid and there was a global pandemic, how did you handle that? (laughs) Because there's really not been anything like this even in, in my parents' time. So um, there's definitely a sense that people are uh, coming together. I think, as I said earlier, just that acknowledging that how scary it is that we don't know everything that we want to know about this disease and that there um, could be different um, issues for different people in different families and having a sensitivity to those. So I've heard people really reaching out I've heard people telling a lot of stories to try and make connections with people. Um, and I've seen people be much more intentional about creating community or where they have community, staying connected to it. Like the Zoom calls I've been doing with the other eighth grade Hobrook moms. And um, you know that, that desire to talk to people that are from different parts of my life and make sure they're doing okay.
0: Thanks. Well, thanks for, um, thanks for taking time. I, I mean, that is, uh, it, it, that's, a, that's probably a nice place to end this. And actually, I guess I should, I should throw in at least one, the, the one final question I, I, I have to ask you, which is, you know, you've been here now for 14 years, uh, part of the Hillbrook community. You'll always be part of the Hillbrook community, but now you'll be part of it as fully on the alumni side. Um, how, what has been the impact of Hillbrook for John, Emma, and your family?
1: You know, I think Hillbrook more than anything, I think Hillbrook lets the child get to know themselves and the parent get to know themselves as a parent. Um, and it is a place that sort of reinforces and reminds us of the power of community, of um, learning by doing, of being connected to nature and, uh, and of course having a sense of humor, <laughs> those, uh, those Monday morning jokes. But I think my kids leave Uh, Hillbrook with a real understanding of the power of genuine friendship and personal connection, and they know their own strengths and how to advocate for themselves, and they can see kind of the big picture. So they are, I think they're well positioned to know what they're good at and what they have a passion for, and be able to ask themselves, what does the world need right now, and try and meet that need so that they can make a difference. Um, I think it's been a magical experience for us as a family.
0: Uh, well, we we are going to miss you and i I'm, I'm not sure I'll know what to do on the 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 next time the bus pulls up to school and' not <laughs> on it. but um, I know we, I know we will stay in touch yes we
1: mm-hmm. will. yes we will thank you for everything you're doing Mark
0: Oh thank you and we've still got a couple more months to go so yep. um all right thanks
1: Anne. All right
0: you've been listening to remarks and reflections a podcast of hillbrook School. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can also find the Remarks and Reflections blog post at hillbrook.us, another space where we are looking to connect with and engage members of our community in conversations important to our school, education, and parenting. And as always, you can find our school on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, our website at hillbrook.org. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and be your best.